Agricultural inputs, whether they're synthetic or organic, are kind of hard to avoid in agriculture. To keep a food production system going, you need to add something in because at the end of the day, you're going to be taking something out. The dream is obviously to use less inputs or at least less costly inputs and still pull in good size yields. So there's more money in the bank for you and your family. One way you could try going about doing this is by teaming up with the life that's already in the soil, building up its health, building up its resiliency. Oki Nisto Anakuk Derek Leahy and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're discussing bacteria-based inputs. Oki, and welcome back to the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions series, where we look at the on-farm or on-ranch climate solutions that are good for the land, good for agriculture, and are a good fit with Blackfoot ways of knowing and Blackfoot culture. If you're not a Blackfoot speaker and you're wondering what I said towards the end of the introduction there, it was, hi, I'm Derek Leahy in Blackfoot. And if you are a Blackfoot speaker and you're wondering what I said in the introduction there towards the end because my Blackfoot's so bad, it was, hi, I'm Derek Leahy in Blackfoot. In this episode, the series host, Lance Tailfeathers, Lance sits down and has a chat with Joshua Daychief, the CEO of Advanced Ag, based out of Raymond, Alberta, about agricultural inputs, but inputs that nature and the land already provide. So in the case of Advanced Ag, they're in the bacteria business. You'll hear Joshua talk about something called ACF-SR in the interview. That's the bacteria product that Advanced Ag has developed. Lance and Joshua are both members of Kainai Nation. All of us at Rural Roots are super pumped about relaunching this series and to be working with Lance again. Lance is a really great guy to work with. If you've listened to episode 49 with Dr. Leroy Littlebear, episode 48 with Mike Brucehead, or episode 44 with Cyrus and Roy Weaselfat, you've already listened to some of Lance's work. Also, when I was scripting this episode and writing quite excitedly about relaunching the series, it hit me, we never really came up with a great name for the series. The series is part of one of our bigger projects, the Siksiketsatipi Agriculture Project, which is a project that creates a space or a platform for Siksiketsatipi or Blackfoot Confederacy members to come together and discuss the on-farm and on-ranch climate solutions that align with Blackfoot ways of knowing and Blackfoot culture. But we never really came up with a really solid name for the actual series, so the Rural Roots team clearly has some brainstorming to do this fall and winter. We hope you enjoy the episode and the conversation between Lance and Joshua around working with natural processes to the benefit of agriculture. And by the way, Season four of the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast has officially begun. Today we are talking with Joshua Day Chief. Uh, so before we get started here, Josh, maybe just tell us a bit about yourself and what your present occupation is. 
Uh, yeah, we own a biotech company out in Raymond, Southern Alberta, and I've been involved in this business since I was a kid. It's family owned. I am now the CEO and majority shareholder of this of this company. And historically, we were involved with water and wastewater remediation, and we're now heavily involved in agriculture, as you can tell by the name uh, Advanced Ag. Well, and then a bit about yourself. Uh growing up on the reserve or adjacent to the reserve, just sort of uh, how you got into this type of, um, I guess, ag, ag business. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, was around the reserve quite a bit as a kid. Um, my dad, if anyone knows my dad, Sheldon, he loves the powwow trail. And so uh, as a kid, I always remember, you know, going to every single powwow drumming, uh, my sister would dance. Um, and then my parents got a divorce, um, when I was younger. And so I felt like I had a bit of a disconnect from the reserve uh, in my teenage years. Um, but it's it's kind of cool now because I've reconnected with a lot of family uh, now that I'm a little bit older uh, and things like that. But in terms of the business itself, my mother actually started it in 2001, which puts that 22 years old now. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, as a kid, I just always remember helping out with the business wherever I could, stamping brochures, carrying product around. Um, some would call it child labor, but I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's great for, for yeah. kids to be involved in that entrepreneurial uh, family. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I've just always been involved in it. We... Like I said, we started off with water and wastewater. It's been a really long journey, but the last few years have been really, really exciting with the work we've done um, in agriculture. And and you know what? Coming from a First Nations background, um, it, there, there's just that whole side of things. I mean, we were the first environmentalists. We were the first uh, people to take care of our land. And, you know call it coincidence or or not it's just something I've always been passionate about you know even when I went to school before the before I even knew I wanted to work in the business I knew I wanted to be involved in environmental science or doing something to help our environment Um, because ultimately I I think that's where we need to get back to as 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 people Mm -hmm. cool uh, so going back to advanced ag, I know you got that's what you guys are operating now. So maybe just some, I guess, some trivia as to how that all started, like just from the get go. Yeah, um, really just started as an idea. Um, Mom doesn't like it when I call it a hobby, uh, but really that's what it was. She was actually a college instructor um, at the Lethbridge College. Uh, as a technical writing instructor. And she had a bit of a side hustle knowing her entrepreneurial spirit. And it was focused on helping entrepreneurs do technical writing. So she was working with some some pretty cool entrepreneurs out there that were looking at business plans and brochures and really any type of technical writing as a business. And she stumbled across one business idea. Uh, There was a gentleman down in Florida that was wanting to use bacteria to clean up the Everglades. She kind of looked at that and she said, that's kind of interesting. It sounds cool that you have a natural way to to clean up bodies of water. And, you know, just naively, she asked, hey, is there anyone up here in Canada doing this? And he said, well, why would you want to treat bodies of water that are frozen all the time, right? People (laughs) down the southern states don't really know that. We actually have nice weather up here sometimes. 
but he said, nope, there's no one up, up there doing this. I'm kind of the only guy right now um, focusing on this. So she went directly to his supplier and said, hey, can I be the distributor up here in Canada? And I mean, you got to imagine this would have been 23, 24 years ago before the business was actually incorporated. People weren't talking about bacteria or taking care of our water or our land the way they are now. So it wasn't like we brought this technology up here and had all of this business overnight. That was not the case at all. Um, so one of the really good things that she had at her disposal was a lot of colleagues around the college that could help her um, get the business off the ground in terms of research. So she went down the hall uh, from her office and talked to a fellow named Cal Koskowicz, who she knew was a wastewater engineer in his past life. Um, at the time, he wasn't doing that anymore. He said, you know what, Phyllis, I am, I'm working with the National Research Council and there's money available for us to do research on technologies like this. So he said, don't quit your day job. Um, <laughs> just, but you know what, there's funds here so that we can legitimize what you're doing. And he said, you know what, I do think there is something here. If you don't do it, I might have to quit my job and, and maybe pursue something down this, this road. But no, that's really where it all started. And, and in fact, Cal sits on our uh, board of advisors now because he was one of the first individuals to really help us get off the ground. But a lot of that research, if anyone knows my mother and, you know, I'm the same way as her. We are uh, the visionaries of the business. Mm -hmm. She wasn't interested in treating small bodies of water, small ponds. She wanted to treat the Great Lakes and massive bodies of water. So a lot of the research we had done was focused on how do we grow bacteria for large scale applications? And again, yes, we had landed some big contracts. You know, we had the city of Calgary. We did Henderson Lake. The water stuff was going, but it was going slowly. We, we had kind of just enough business to keep us afloat year after year with the research dollars as well. Mm -hmm. And then in 2016, we, uh, our supplier came across a blend of bacteria that was used for plant and soil health. And he was looking at, you know, bananas, pineapples, aloe vera, anything that was grown on anything smaller than 50 acres where they had, you know, these third world countries and these guys were spraying this bacteria on these crops and enhancing the, the plant growth and soil health. So we went down there, learned a little bit about that and kind of looked at each other and we went, yeah, you know, agriculture is pretty big in Canada. I wonder if there's a fit for it up here. And the research we had done on growing our bacteria, if we could put this on thousands of acres. And mom and I, our visionaries were crazy at times with some of the, some of the dreams that we have. But we did that in 2016. And little did we know that there was a group of farmers looking at sustainable regenerative type of technologies. You know, that was, that's not that long ago, right? Mm -hmm. You know, seven years ago or so. And, um, yeah, we saw results on the fields we put it on in 2016. From there, we did more research working with Dr. Bill Hammond to prove what we were doing and quantify what we were doing. And honestly, since 2016, um, it, it's grown exponentially. So I, I say this road uh, in business has been long, 22 years, but it's almost like a whole new business has started based off of what we've done in the past. And it's been seven years of just exponential growth for our company. Uh, what types of services and products does uh, Advanced Ag generally provide? And also uh, what to provide to what 
uh, particular uh, agricultural producers. We still do a lot of the water and wastewater stuff. Uh, it's actually growing substantially. Our products have developed quite a bit. So we treat a lot of private lakes uh, in the city of Calgary. We work with a lot of municipalities on their storm retention ponds, um, as well as golf courses, things like that. Hutterite colonies all have dugouts. Farmers have dugouts. But in 2016, we developed this product called ACFSR, um, and it was kind of a, you know, it's, it, was an, it is an incredible product, but that was our claim to fame was that one particular technology for farmers to enhance plant growth. And the idea with that was um, our farmers could be less reliant on synthetic products, you know, fertilizers, chemicals, things like that. Can we use something like this? to to make those products maybe more efficient so that they could use less to improve soil health and um so since then you know that that's been the one product that has worked across canada we have potato growers using it in uh, new brunswick and we have fruit and vegetable growers using it out on the west coast as well and in the okanagan mm -hmm. um, but our big business is really broad acre farming um, you know, we do hundreds of thousands of acres uh, across Saskatchewan, um, a lot of irrigated acres, potato growers and corn growers here in southern Alberta. And then in northern Alberta, we're working with a lot of uh, farmers as well. So it's been a fantastic product. Um, just in the last couple of years, we've developed a product, not as a biopesticide, but a product that we are hoping will improve disease conditions and crops um, so that farmers can move away from chemical fungicide applications. Mm -hmm. So we've done two years of testing on that. We're actually working with the US government now on a variety of different crops uh, with that particular product. And you know everything we've done up until this point has been really exciting, but I'm particularly excited with this technology because I, I believe that it's uh, it's going to have a huge importance. It doesn't matter what kind of farmer you are. Um, it, it's going to have a huge importance for growers across North America and globally. So these all these new practices that you guys are doing now, which is really good. But then um, I know just from growing up uh, on the reserve and sort of the farmers that come on, um, some farmers are pretty hard nosed. So I think maybe the challenge is, are there those that will just buy into your products or... Do you think that they're, you know, they don't really change their ways? I guess not the best practices with that type of fertilizer or type of ag products, just to touch on that. No, I think it's been difficult. I think, you know, when we developed these products, we had some barriers, especially early on and with good reason. Uh, historically, there have been products out there that have made certain claims that have looked exciting um but really have not worked and and quite honestly biological products in egg you know you go back even 10 years ago heck even five years ago even today <laughs> they, they we still have a bit of a reputation as a snake oil and okay. it, there's been people out there that have made a quick buck off of farmers and so you know that was the biggest challenge um i think one of the one of the best things we ever did was I, the first two farmers we dealt with and worked with, I put them in touch with our head scientists right away. And not only can we give them a guaranteed analysis of what's in our product, we were telling them the ingredients. 
uh, there, there's products out there even today that say, oh, it's trade secret. Um, we're not telling you what's in our product. Those days are, are there's going to be less and less of that as we move forward mm-hmm. in ag. And, and farmers are becoming a little bit smarter on what, what's happening. So, um, you know, for us to break through that barrier, we did that through research. We partnered with a third-party, uh, well-established research group. And we said, hey, look, we have data. Um, not only do we have data, we went and got a CFIA, Canadian Food Inspection Agency, uh, label. So the Canadian government actually gave us a stamp of approval that, hey, this is a product that has a guaranteed analysis that we approve for crops. And that really helped us uh, grow our market, I would say. Because um, there there are, I guess, what you would call competitors out there, but mm-hmm. they, they weren't able to get those approvals and they weren't putting the money back into research like we were. So, yeah, I mean, I especially the older generation of farmers, um, the people even today, you know, that that we work with, they're the younger, the younger generation that realize that, hey, you know what my father and grandfather have done on our land for, you know, 100 years. We ha- we can't continue to do that. It is not sustainable. Um so this shift isn't going to happen overnight, but it is happening. It is happening quickly. And um, I think the barriers now are that, you know, it's just education. What, you know, if I'm a farmer, yeah, of course I want to improve my soil health so that my kids and my grandkids have the land in a better spot than when I took it over. That's mm-hmm. the goal, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's sustainability. Um, there's not one solution to that. There isn't. There's not one silver bullet. There's not one thing that's going to do that. And so how do these pieces fit together so that we can actually achieve it? Um, that's that's been our focus. So, yeah, there's been a, there's been a ton of barriers. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's still people out there that say, no, this is too good to be true. It's a snake oil. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, data is data. And if yeah. I can show you, hey, we're not the only ones that think this. This PhD also thinks this. Uh, this university also thinks this, the government thinks this, Yeah. Um, then there's some validity to what we're doing. Uh, you mentioned soil and water issues on your website. Mm-hmm. Could you expand on what that is and what ag producers need to be aware of, those that aren't really too familiar with, with the, I guess, the technicalities? Tell us a little bit more about the bacteria your company has developed. Yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about soil and water, I mean, totally completely different things. But at the same time, there's a lot of crossover. And so when we think about the technology itself and the way it was developed for water, um, we're actually using a lot of the same species for our soil treatment. Um, The issue we're seeing in bodies of water is that there's too much... um, leaching into these bodies of water, whether it's synthetic fertilizers, uh, heavy organics, sewage, where we see it all the time, um, or it could just be cattle, um, whatever it may be. There's an excess of nutrients going into these bodies of water. How do we get rid of that? There's Mm -hmm. no way to get rid of that. The natural process um, is done through cycling uh, from bacteria. So bacteria will actually cycle these nutrients, break them down, and convert what would be a form of nitrogen into nitrogen gas, which is what our atmosphere is made out of. Well, cycling in soil environments is actually very similar. 
um, a little bit different. The functionalities are a little bit different, but what we're trying to do in, in the soil is to use what's already there. There is a lot of phosphorus in our soil. Our, like I said, our atmosphere is made up of, I believe it's 80% nitrogen. There is forms of fertilizer that, you know, is all over the place, but it's not plant available. It's bacteria that make those nutrients plant available. So we are just adding bacteria in to make those ecosystems function naturally better. And so we're able to take uh, a form of phosphorus, for example, in the soil, which would be, um, you know, tricalcium phosphate, for example. It's everywhere, uh, but plants can't use that. That's not food for plants. Orthophosphate is. It's bacteria that turn it into that orthophosphate. Uh, we also have um, two strains of nitrifying bacteria that are literally pulling atmospheric nitrogen um, into the soil and making it available to our plants. We see the pivot bios of the world do this as well. Bill Gates is a heavy investor in that company. So there are companies in the U.S. that are doing this as well. Um, we are also growing our bacteria using atmospheric carbon. And I, um, I believe you wanted to touch on carbon sequestration yep. at some point as well. We are taking atmospheric carbon and driving that into soil. Now, we are trying to quantify um, what, you know, what quantities we are bringing into the soil. But that's essentially what we're doing. And everyone, you know, we talk to them about this technology and they're like, man, this is, this is brilliant. How'd you come up with this? This is like next level. This is actually just mother nature. This is the processes mother nature has given us. We just have disrupted those, those processes quite a bit. Um, so we're just trying to recharge these aquatic ecosystems and these soil ecosystems with the, the beneficial bacteria that they need to function properly. The ACFSR, this is what we have used across hundreds of thousands of acres across Canada. It's comprised of five different species of bacteria. We have two nitrifiers that are fantastic, like I said, at using atmospheric nitrogen, converting uh, plant unavailable nitrogen to plant available nitrogen. We have a species in there called Rhodosunomonas palustris. It is an um, incredible bacteria species. And by the way, all of these species are available right on our website. And this was a part of why farmers really bought into our program. We said, here's what we have. And there's research all over the internet on what these do. That particular species is great for carbon sequestration. Um, it can work in uh, heavy oxygen environments or uh, anoxic environments as well. And then we have two bacillus species in there as well, which are great for phosphorus solubilization and some of the disease resistance that we see uh, in our plants. So the five species we're using um, really have specific functionalities built into them so that we know what they're going to do. Um, historically, we've had some, some really good questions, you know, people saying, well, what if, what if I just grow compost tea? You know, I throw a bunch of molasses and soil and bugs into a, and bubble it up. Well, I'm going to have millions or trillions of bacteria. I don't want just five. Well, you know, when you do that, you, you're going to get the lazy growers that are probably not going to do anything. Uh, we know what our five bacteria are going to do and we grow them. We actually grow them on site. So a farmer will have the ability, they'll get the ingredients, the different 
uh, bacteria strains, and they will grow those species over a three-day period of time um, so that they're able to take, you know, a box of our stuff that would contain uh, five gallons, let's say, of bacteria and grow that into 300 gallons in, wow. in 72 hours. We have the right food source, the right nutrient source, and the right processes to be able to do it. In fact, last year, we became the largest pool heater supplier in all of Canada because we're using pool heaters to, to grow our bacteria. My wife, you know, every time I say that, she gets a little upset because we don't own a pool. Now, another question here. What are your thoughts on community health and its potential connection to good agricultural practices like agricultural climate solutions or regen ag? I, I mean, I think it's everything. I mean, look at what the government is proposing over the next five, six, seven years, and it's sustainable agriculture. There's a reason for that. Um, there's statistics out there and, you know, depends what your opinion is, but there are statistics out there that say we need to produce around 60% more food by the year 2050. Well, is that attainable? Um, I'm not too sure, especially when the government's saying we need to reduce fertilizers. I believe that it's not going to be about producing more food. So, I mean, we talk about communities. That could be the blood reserve. That's a community. We could be talking about Alberta. But I'm talking, like, globally as a community. We, it's not, for me, it's not producing more food. It's producing better food. And I think, historically, we've relied on synthetic fertilizers and all these products to grow plants above the soil and we've neglected the soil the soil is what's going to give us healthy food it's what's going to um, give us more nutritious food so that we become healthier um, you know there's a big difference you go grab a, a big mac from mcdonald's you go eat that you're probably hungry an hour later we talk about disease and plants as well thing but it's i mean look at the the disease that we have you know just on the blood reserve all the the health issues that we see this is um i believe regenerative agriculture is going to not only be able to feed the world better but i think the ripple effect of that is our is our health you know which is everything and when we talk about water health you know we're having less fertilizers go into our water, which is causing less whatever, you know. Um, to me, that's the answer. So you're seeing, you, we've been working on this for 22 years. Now you're seeing all these big companies who've been promoting synthetic chemicals and all these other things. Now they're trying to race to this because they realize that this is the future. Uh, I still believe we have a huge competitive advantage. Um, and, and I do believe these big companies will approach us. They already have uh, a few of them. Um, and they're poking around, seeing what we're doing. Uh, but, but yeah, th this is the future. How will a producer benefit from adopting agricultural climate solutions or regen ag? Our audience is primarily agricultural producers in the prairies, but now includes mm -hmm. the Blackfoot Confederacy. It mm -hmm. would likely be of interest to Blackfoot members who not only farm and ranch on their own, but engage and do business with off-preserve ag producers. That's like a lot of them try to, I guess, farm their own land, and they're out there, I guess, trying to get the best value for their for their uh, farming. 
Yeah. What what would you, I guess, uh, encourage or, or or to discuss about that? Before I answer that, I kind of want to back up. And what I've seen as a bit of an issue is that you know take the take the population of Canada, um, and then take the population of farmers. They are the minority. I mean, and and I think the issue is is that everything they do is consumer driven. It's the people in the cities that are driving the practices of farmers. I mean, you know, some of the stuff our prime minister has put into place. Do you think he's in touch with farming? Probably not. He lives wherever, Toronto, you know, uh, 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 Ottawa, you know, these big cities. And they don't understand what farmers um, what resources they have to yeah. implement these regenerative egg practices. You ask any farmer, of course, they don't want to use all these chemicals or all these fertilizers, but they have to. That's, that's what's available to them to run their business, to keep their farm in operation. And just until recently, I mean, the big, the big controversy right now is this uh, proposed mandate that we're going to reduce fertilizer emissions by 30% in seven years. That, you know, anytime the government says there's a mandate of anything, people get worked up. The reality is, is that it's doable. I mean, we are working with farmers. We are cutting back their synthetic fertilizers, not because of the mandate, but just, just act pure economics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting more and more expensive to apply these products to your land. Pretty well, we've touched on about the First Nations and sort of those challenges about, you know, you talked about the bigger community with um, or Alberta and globally about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing the right thing as far as growing products. The question I'm going to ask you now is, do you think there's a possible connection between Blackfoot culture and good agricultural practices like uh, agricultural climate solutions or regen ag, uh, yeah. I mean, Blackfoot as a um, as a community. I mean, yeah. Like I said, I think I think we were the first people to take care of our land. I, you know, the original environmentalists, if you will. And um, uh, part of me, you know, we do a lot of work on on the reserve and. Uh, you know, with farmers who are leasing land and, and things like that. But I, I feel like we've just maybe have lost touch with that a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I have land out there I'm leasing out. Do we know these farmers are taking care of our soil, of our land, of our water? I mean, if you were to compare them to the general consensus of farmers, I don't think we've done an incredible job of it, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and knock farmers either because what have they had available to them to do, a, a, you know, the best job they could of taking care of that land. And for me, um, you know, I think from uh, um, just the perspective of where we need to be going, our, our confederacy, uh, our people need to be leading that charge in terms of taking care of our land again. And not only taking care of our land, but having everyone invested in their own land too. Um, I, I would love to see everyone have a, even if it's a small farm, you know, everyone have a, a hay farm or growing some alfalfa or understanding what we're doing. You know, you look at the, the, the blood tribe, man, there is a lot of land out there and there is a huge opportunity out there 
for all of our members to to be successful and to have an econ- a better economy than what we have out there. I just feel like, you know, here, you know, borrow our land, reap the benefits from it. It just seems so backwards because we were the first people that were benefiting off the land and we've just gone away from it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, in terms of regenerative ag, I, I, I really do believe that every farmer wants to leave their land and their soil and their water and everything else in a better spot than when they took it over from their fathers. But how do we do that? And in my opinion, um, uh, the First Nations people, not just the Blackfoot Confederacy, but all of us need to be leading that charge. That's all the questions I have for this episode. If any other additional comments you'd like to add in, in, in that regard? No, I I mean, I, I really appreciate it. I did mention early on in the uh, in the in the interview here that, you know, I did have a period in my life where I was disconnected from our, a lot of my family and my heritage. And so, you know what, we've, like I said, I've been involved in this business for a very long time. So my sister and I are trying to go back and give back to the community, whether it's donations, things like that. But I think from a bigger perspective, um, trying to build some hope and some opportunity out there on the side. Our business, yeah, it's taken a lot uh, of our attention day to day, but we believe that, you know, successful Blackfoot individuals need to be there to uplift the rest of the people and to, to help them. And so we're trying to build an entrepreneur network um, out there and be involved in our community a little bit better. Um, because, hey, you know, I, I'm fortunate, you know, I got off the reserve and was able to thrive and, and do whatever took opportunities to, to grow a business. A lot of our people don't have that opportunity, right? So um, we're hoping to at least maybe do some things to change that a little bit. So I, I really appreciate uh, the time that you've given me to, to speak about our business. You could probably tell from how much I've mumbled on about our business. I'm very passionate about it, but I, I am very passionate about our people. You know, I'm hoping one day that I can, I can get back to that even, even more so. And so my takeaway from the discussion that we had was when you mentioned about it being uh, mother nature just naturally does this and that's what you're, what's with the type of, that's what you guys are thriving for. So it's an, really an appreciation that that's probably well overdue or long overdue. And thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks, Lance. Appreciate it. Best of luck. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based organization empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and participant-driven projects like the Siksiketsatipi Agriculture Project and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab. We also produce a farmer's blog, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented and growing Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is... Cheyenne Younger, Kristen Mountain, Shelley Seed, Susan Solway, and Lance Tailfeathers. 
The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the episode was recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm. Mm -hmm.